0: And this is Lead to Win. And yes, there's been a coup. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt.
1: And I'm Courtney Baker.
0: And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And you can probably tell Megan's not with me today because there's been a coup. Just kidding. (laughs) Actually, Courtney, Courtney is our chief marketing officer. And uh, Megan's tired of doing something, who knows what, but she's got a big fancy job, and so we're left to to do the podcast, and we're actually excited about it because we've got an idea we've been wanting to try for a long time, and with Megan out of the picture, we actually have free run, and Nick, our producer, is with us, and he's just egging us on. So, Courtney, why don't you talk about this, this idea and kind of what your vision for it was?
1: Well, we... <laughs> We've kind of had different iterations of this episode idea. Nick, our producer, had the idea. Actually, you had an idea a couple of years ago about doing a whole podcast around leadership lessons from Ted Lasso. You never shared that with me, but you did share it with Nick, who then shared it with me. And I looked at Nick and said, that is brilliant. Uh, we did not decide to pursue that. Uh, but it kind of stuck with me. And, and so there's been some like ideas over the years of, of things like this. And, but then when they talked to me about recording this episode with you, I started to think about, okay, what are things that Michael and I talk about? Well, one of them is productivity and we already have an entire podcast about that. Um, And you and I probably certainly could. I literally said, I bet Michael and I can have a lot of fun talking about email inboxes. And I think we could, but we've talked about that before. And then I was like, you know, the other thing that Michael and I talk about, like organically, when I see you, we usually talk about shows we're watching uh, or movies we're watching. And it's I was like, ooh, this is our chance um, to talk about leadership lessons in film and TV.
0: I am so geeked about this idea because it, I, I do watch, I mean, I feel like we've, we're living in the golden age of television. You know, yeah. and some people might point back to the 50s or the 60s, but it is epic what is being produced today. Mm-hmm. And like for me to go watch a movie where you only have an hour and a half or two hours to develop a story arc and a plot, I feel like I'm robbed. You Mm -hmm. know, I, first of all, I don't want to sit for an hour and a half or two hours. That's too long. I want to sit for an hour, but I want to do it repeatedly for multiple episodes so the story can be developed. But I think we've, we've got amazing TV. There are some amazing movies that we're going to refer to, but I, but I rarely watch one of those, Courtney, without thinking to myself, wow, that's an important leadership lesson.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. I think they're, you know, so much of art mirrors, you know, life and reality. And so I think so many times, you know, we're just seeing that in film. And so if you're paying attention, you're like, oh, gosh, there is a really great nugget of truth that is applicable in our in business, in our professional lives, and maybe even with our productivity.
0: Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to kind of set up the clip or Courtney will set up the clip. And then Nick is going to play the clip, and then we're going to comment on it, doing our best to distill from it the leadership lessons that we see in it. Sound good? You good at that, Cordy?
1: That sounds great. Let's do it.
2: All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now?
3: No, I have no idea.
0: Okay, so we're going to play several clips from Ted Lasso. If you've not watched that show on Apple TV, it is a must-watch. Now, some of you might be offended by the language, and it can get a little bit rough, but it's it's an amazing, amazing, positive show. And it came out at exactly the right time during the pandemic, and it gave everybody a lift because Ted is this kind of naive, super positive, kind of failed football coach that moves to England to take responsibility for a soccer team. And, in fact, he says, when he arrives, he says, what I don't know about soccer could fill two internets. And so <laughs> and so there's this, there's this thing that took me about six episodes to get, which is the intro to the show. Now, Apple TV has this thing where you can usually skip the intro. And so normally I would do that. But after I watched it a few times, because I didn't get the button, hit the button fast enough, I thought, oh my gosh, there's an entire message in the intro. Have you seen that, Courtney?
1: So this is so interesting. I so when we started talking about this, several people that work on our team when we were kind of chatting about this in Slack mentioned this intro, and I was like, where have I been? I did not even notice this, and I it's because I'm skipping it. Um, so I think this is is a, a real hidden gem, like r- right out of the gate.
0: Here's the setup for the show. So the intro is like this. First of all, I got the theme song, uh, music. And you've got Ted. That's it in an empty soccer stadium. And you just see one bank of chairs. You know, there's probably 300 chairs. Ted walks in and all the chairs are blue. Ted sits down and immediately the chairs start turning red. And so I thought, well, that's a clever graphic thing. And then I realized, no, this is talking about the, the influence a leader has, hmm. because Ted is kind of a voice crying in the wilderness. He's hmm. this person of positive intent who always sees the best in people. And you would think that a guy like that, who comes into a very cynical losing team, the soccer team that he's now the, the manager or the coach of, has had a history of losing They're not that great, and they are definitely not excited about seeing him, this American football coach. And he'd actually been hired by the owner of the team's wife. They went through this brutal divorce. She got the soccer team in the settlement, and she knows that her ex-husband loves this team, and so she wants to run it into the ground. So she hires what she thinks will be the absolute worst coach she could ever bring on. But back to to the opening so Ted goes into that situation, toxic culture, people that are cynical, obstinate, not cooperative, and one by one, those blue chairs start to turn red. He starts to have an influence on them.
1: I love this intro and I'm going to pick, I'm kind of going to break the order here uh, a little bit because I I think that intro really segues into kind of a clip that I always think about with this show which is um you know obviously Rebecca who is who now basically owns the team you know she's got it in this divorce and Ted just starts approaching all of these people that are that are literally wanting him to fail you know she she hired him to fail but he just keeps coming to these relationships with positive intent he every time he interacts with them He's just, he's looking at their actions through the lens of positive intent. And I think the way, what it produces is eventually a relationship. Don't they
0: call that the Pygmalion effect? Have you ever heard of that?
1: I i, I want to say yes, because it sounds so smart. Well, um, it's, I, I, th- I
0: think, and I'm, we probably should double check this before we let me check it. you know, leave this in the show. So if you're hearing this, we double checked and this is truth. But uh, I think the Pygmalion effect is when someone is shaped by your perception of them. So in other words, if I see you as a kind, generous, warm, competent person, guess what? You start to become a kind, generous, warm, competent person. That's the Pygmalion effect.
1: I just did some very fast Google searching and I would like to award you with the correct answer that is correct for the Pygmalion effect.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. So I think that's pretty amazing. And I think as leaders, this is a critically important lesson. You know, you may find yourself, if you're listening to this, you may be in a toxic toxic culture. You may feel like you're you're working with people that are, less than competent. Uh, This applies in your family with your kids. It applies in all kinds of situations, but how we see people will shape how they develop. And I think that, you know, I learned from my executive coach, Eileen, many years ago, this whole concept of standing for the greatness of others, Mm -hmm. you know, taking a stand for their potential, seeing in them what they can't see for themselves. And Ted does that. And it's just second nature to him. And it's so adorable.
1: Okay, so this clip is actually, um, Ted is bringing, he finds out what Rebecca's, like, favorite um, biscuits are, and he starts bringing them to her each day. But this is the first time that he does that. Um, he kind of barges into a meeting to to bring her this biscuit he's made.
3: Where did you get these? I'm glad you like them. You know what? I'll start bringing these to you every morning. Call biscuits with the boss. That... But- really isn't necessary. Okay, well mark this down as the first time we disagree then. <sighs> Actually, no, second time. Uh, tea is horrible. Absolute garbage water. I don't know why y'all do that. Anywho, you know, we can't really be, you know, good partners unless we get to know each other, right? Ted. We're gonna start simple. Real easy, real easy one. We're no. gonna do uh, first concert, best concert. You go ahead and go first. Go, <laughs> right off the uh, The Spice Girls. And, uh, the Spice Girls. Same answer for both? Oh, I love that. <laughs> God,
1: awesome. I love this show, like even that clip. I'm like, just keep going, Nick. Keep going. Just I can just listen to it. I will add on this point. I mean, I know we're talking about this in the context of being a leader and seeing other people with positive intent. And I think that's certainly what Ted does, you know, as leading this team. And he eventually, just like those bleacher seats, like he turns Rebecca becomes such a, a close ally and, and friend even, you know, he starts to slowly turn leaders on the team, the media, the fans, like slowly by slowly, you start to see these, again, we'll just keep the bleacher seats turning colors. And I, you know, I think the first place I really learned about this concept of positive intent was in the book, The Loyalist Team. Um, Michael, do you remember reading that kind of as a company? I do.
0: Such a, such a great book. And then we had Rebecca Teasdale, Mm-hmm. One of the authors of that book come in and do yes. a full day training with us on that topic. And it was so rich.
1: What's really great here, I feel like in so many team cultures, it doesn't matter where you're at in the organization. But, you know, there are things that we think of like just normal parts of business, you know, like water cooler talk. Or you might say, like, Bobby is just driving me crazy like he did X, Y, Z. And, and we kind of in the business world, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's just normal. But in that book, it really helps you understand that when you do things like that, you're actually the saboteur on uh, the List team and not really using positive intent with Bobby. Um, but I just think uh, Ted Lasso does such a great job, uh, even against all odds, uh, using positive intent over and over and over again to his success.
0: You know, what's interesting is that when we think of leadership, we naturally think of influence. We want to have influence on other people. And we see how it works when it's negative. If somebody's negative, that can create a a toxic culture, but it also works the other way. But the word influence comes from the same root word that we get, influenza. And so the Mm -hmm. truth is we can be contagious and contagious Mm -hmm. for good. And Ted Lasso is a great example of somebody that's very contagious, highly contagious. Everybody eventually And slowly gets the disease. And I mean that the most positive way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have one more Ted Lasso clip that we want to talk about. And I want to set this up. So one of the soccer team members, one of the players is named Sam. And I think Sam is from maybe Nigeria or somewhere in Africa. I can't remember where exactly. He's a really good player. But there's this other player, Jamie, that is kind of the star of the team. He's super popular, and he's really full of himself. And he's given Sam some grief, and he's criticizing him and demeaning him and saying ugly things about him uh, on the field. That's what we would say as Americans, but as Brits, they call it the pitch. So he's on the pitch, and he's saying these negative things about Sam. And so at one point, Ted calls Sam over to him. And he says this.
3: Hey, Sam, come here a sec. Coach, I'm I'm sorry. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Yeah?
0: That is such a great principle. So let me just unpack it. And I can use Courtney as an illustration. I find that really competent people who are truly excellent at what they do, and Courtney would be a great example of that, sometimes are really hard on themselves. They can be very self-critical, very, um, very hard on themselves. And Courtney, I think, you know, (laughs) from time to time, I've seen you be really hard on yourself. And I think that one of the things that really good leaders do is help a person put that in perspective. So if it's if it's a failure, if it's a mistake, or it's criticism, I think it's really easy as leaders to get that backwards, you know, and and sometimes, and you've seen me do this, Courtney, you know, we get something negative on social media and I kind of blow it out of proportion of my own mind. And somebody has to talk me off the ledge. And I think as leaders, one of the things that we can give to other people is the gift of perspective. And and Ted does that for Sam there. And basically what he's saying is. Shake it off and forget it, buddy. Be like mm-hmm. the goldfish. Mm-hmm. Have a 10-second memory. Forget it. It's not worth stressing out about. And that's how most stuff is that we encounter in life. And we've got to help one another shake it off.
1: I think that's so important because we talk about that in sports. It's so obvious. You know what I mean? Like, you know what a slump is. And you also know, like, players are not going to play their best when they're in their heads. You know, if they're like... Questioning everything they did, or maybe they missed several three point shots in a game. You know, it's so important to have that short memory to bounce back. Otherwise, you know, they get in like a real slump. But we don't really think about that very often in work. Like we don't think about it as a performance like you do with a game, you know, where it's like a very real thing that you can't just like with a sports, you know, a, a sporting event, like get in your head to the point that you're not producing your best work because you're afraid to replicate that error again. And that's when you, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you you stop taking risks, you stop, you know, taking like creative endeavors. And then you do, you know, there is the potential that you kind of go down a path you never would have chosen.
0: Yeah, I think this, this can really, really derail us, but this is where we as leaders can help people. So I like to play golf, not very good, but I like to play golf. And there were two different people that I used to work with that I'd play golf with. One person, I'll call him Fred, whenever I would go golfing with him, if I would shank a ball into the rough, which I'm want to do, uh, he would just be like, Oh God, that was a terrible shot. You know, he'd be like reinforcing the negative. <laughs> or he he would just like he would say out loud what you shouldn't be saying out loud. Be
1: uh-huh. you know, like, whoa. Uh-huh.
0: That was a you know mess of a shot, whatever. Then this other guy, and I will use his real name, his name was Victor. And when I would go golfing with Victor, Victor would always be careful to affirm me on the littlest things I did right. That's the only mm-hmm. thing he mentioned out loud. The only thing he commented on were the things that I did right. It gave mm-hmm. me enormous confidence. And I played really some of my best golf ever when I played with Victor.
3: Mm-hmm. When I
0: played with Fred, I went from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. And I think as leaders, we don't sometimes realize the power that we have, because mm-hmm. like Tony Robbins says, what you affirm and notice, you're going to get more of that. And I think it's important and not as a way to manipulate people, but a way to encourage them and help them be their best self.
1: I love that. You picked out this clip and I kind of volunteer to give a little more context since I'm such a um, Harry Potter. What are they called? Geek. Nick geek. Harry, Harry Potter. It's not geek. There's like an actual name. Potterhead. Is that it? Okay. Whatever.
0: We're going to hear um, it from those fans.
1: So this quote is from Chamber of C- Secrets. So really early on second movie. And in this clip, Harry is really realizing that there are a lot of things that he and Voldemort, uh, who, if you haven't watched Harry Potter or know Harry Potter, read the books, he's the bad guy.
0: <laughs> okay, I can't believe um, you mentioned his name.
1: I know. Um, in that first movie, um, the Sorting Hat is putting the kids into one of four classes, and uh, Harry puts on the hat. The hat wants to put him in Slytherin, which is the class that. Um, Voldemort was in and he tells the hat like no I want to be in Gryffindor and the hat listens to his choice and puts him in Gryffindor and so again he's kind of struggling with you know there are a lot of similarities with me and Voldemort how do I make myself different how am I different from him if we have so many similarities
0: why then do the sorting hat place you in Gryffindor because I asked it to Exactly, Harry. Exactly.
2: Which makes you different from Voldemort. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are, it is our choices.
0: That's a really profound quote. And it's something that, as leaders, we would do well to remember, particularly in a world where we have a whole class of people called influencers, where charisma is rewarded, where talent takes precedence over character. But I think that what Dumbledore says is so powerful is that ultimately it's the choices we make, not the talent we have. And, And we've all witnessed firsthand, or at least secondhand, what happens when someone's charisma outstrips their character or when their talent outstrips their character and they make bad decisions. And it can destroy your leadership. It can destroy and make cynical the people that have uh, entrusted themselves to you or who are following you. We've seen epic failures on social media. We've seen it in the church. We've seen it in the corporate world. And um, I, I like to remind myself periodically that I'm never too old to do something stupid. And I would hate to think. That I go through my entire life investing in my family and then make some bad decision at the end, which basically dismisses all of that. And I could give real life examples, but I but I won't, of people who made a decision. Maybe it was about their marriage, maybe it was about giving vent to some something that was part of their lower nature, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. And it and basically destroyed everything they'd worked for. And so I think it's just important to remember what Doubledore says. It's our decisions that define us, really. Not the talents that we've been given, but our decisions. Okay, let me set up this final clip. And it comes from the television series Yellowstone. Now, before you send me an email or shame me in your thoughts, I get it. This is probably not, you know, family TV, definitely not family TV. This is not even something I can recommend, but I do watch it and I find it, uh, very intriguing. And there are a lot of lessons that you can learn here. Okay. So John Dutton is this patriarch of this family that lives in Montana and he owns hundreds of thousands of acres. He's built basically a dynasty. And he has a daughter by the name of Beth, who is um, pretty callous, kind of evil, looks like there's no redemption in sight. I kind of tend to disagree with that. I think that she's slowly changing over time. But regardless, everybody has a story, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a reason Beth is the way that she is. And it's easy to judge people as a leader, and particularly to come to quick judgments about people based on their current behavior and not really understanding their story. And I'm not saying you understand their story to excuse it, but sometimes you have to understand the story to heal it. So here's Beth's story. Beth had an abortion when she was a teenager that left her unable to have children. And this is like the great grief of her life. And it drives a lot of her behavior. And so he has this encounter, John Dutton, her father, has this encounter with his daughter, Beth, in which he gives a full apology for what transpired during that time. And I I want you to hear it, then I'm going to comment on it.
1: I'm sorry, Beth. Sorry for what? That you thought you couldn't come to me that you thought I'd be ashamed or you'd be in trouble for it or whatever you thought. I'm the one safe person in this world that you can turn to, Beth, for anything. And it breaks my heart I didn't make you know that.
3: I know it now. And now is all that matters.
0: That honestly makes me tear up, you know, as the father of five daughters. But the thing that I love that John Dutton does there, he doesn't give one of these half apologies. And I've heard a lot of leaders give half apologies. And it sounds like this. If I've done something to offend you, then I'm sorry. You know, it's conditional. It's like not accepting responsibility or taking ownership of the behavior. It's just like, you know, if I, if I were to offend you in some way, Courtney and I just said, well, you know, I'm sorry that you're such a sensitive person. I suppose on some level that's good. But if I offended you, then I guess I'm sorry. That's like a half apology. But he doesn't do that at all. He takes the full brunt of it. And he doesn't, he doesn't shame her. He doesn't condemn her. He empathizes with her. And I can just hear in his voice that genuine fatherly grief, that he he did something that had a repercussion in her life. I mean, yes, there was the abortion, and and yes, there was the fact that she couldn't have children and all of that. But the fact that was that he was the way he was, and that made her feel alienated, and that's what he's apologizing for. And I just love that, because I think, again, as leaders, sometimes we think, well, if I make an apology, people won't respect me. And I used to think this with my kids, you know, I, I can't admit that I don't know what I'm doing, which was most of the time, by the way, uh, because then they won't respect me, but it's just the opposite. You know, when we're willing to apologize as a leader or as a parent or as a spouse, that's actually what builds the path back and makes the relationship possible. And you cannot lead people unless you have a healthy relationship where there's mutual trust and when mistakes or offenses happen that breaks that and there's only one way to repair it and that's to do a full-on apology
1: i I think this is so good and it seems like so foundational to life you know like i'm even thinking of like my five-year-old that you know she'll like accidentally hit her 14-month-old sister and i'll be like hey just go say, you know, say you're sorry. It was an accident. You're not in trouble. Just, you know, go give your sister a hug and say you're sorry. Will not do it. It is like, it seems like innate, like at our youngest age, it is so hard for us to learn to like lower our pride, to be vulnerable and to use like two, two heartfelt words, you know? And I think. As we continue into our professional careers, I think that compounds. You know, if we haven't had the practice anywhere in our life to then try to do it in a professional setting well, that's why I think you get these terrible, you know, public apologies for things that sound nothing like an apology. It's like uh, your PR person just crafted this thing that like circles an apology, but is not an apology when at the core, You know, I think what he has done in this example is he's so vulnerable, so present with her in in saying that he's sorry that it, you know, it works. And she, you know, acknowledges that. I, I would be curious, Michael, what you would say is the best way, you know, if this is something people have a hard time with, like, how do you practice this other than just practicing it? You know what I mean?
0: Well, I think for starters, it means as a leader, you have to be self-aware. And and I think most of us know, you can get callous about this, but you know, when you quench somebody's spirit, when you offend them, when they, you know, I used to have uh, a friend of mine that would say that, that when people get offended, it's almost like a flower closing. You know, like people are open and communicative and uh, trusting and then you say something that's hurtful or shame them or something and then you just kind of see that close up and i think as as leaders we need to be self aware enough to know oh i just caused that you know and to and to ask forgiveness and i wrote an article one time called you know the 10 most difficult words to say which are i'm sorry i know that hurts you please forgive me
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and i think it needs It needs that kind of formulaic response almost till we get it Mm -hmm. so that we include all the components because there, there does need to be empathy. There does need to be a point at which we say, you know, I was wrong Mm -hmm. and not try to excuse it, not try to sweep it aside, not try to minimize it because it's not important what we intended. What's important is what we did and how the other uh, person received it. And I, I know there's been things with my own kid kids, and I'm a little bit further along uh, in life than you are, Courtney, by which I mean I'm way older than you are. <laughs> but, you know, there were things that, that I know really hurt my girls. And it'd be really easy for me to just say, oh, come on, are you kidding me? Or to just have forgotten them. And I I remember one of my daughters coming to me at one point and she had been going to therapy and she said, dad, I just, there's some things I need to work through with you. And and by the way, you'll get this in time with your kids. And so I said, okay. And I, I, I've been here before, so I knew kind of what was coming. And she said, you know, I, I just felt like as a little girl, you overlooked me. And all I, all I ever wanted to be was your princess. And so it would have been easy for me to say or to think, aren't you kind of making a mountain out of a molehill? Or don't you realize I was busy during that season of life? Or, you know, just start to grill her like, well, give me an example. Mm -hmm. But I think as leaders and as parents, and they're not dissimilar, you kind of have to listen to the heart and go, you know, what I think I did or didn't do is kind of irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Because how she perceived that, became a major milestone in her journey, something that that she felt the need to go get therapy for. And we have a great relationship to this day. but in that moment, and believe me I've, I've done this wrong plenty of times, but in that moment, you know I just I had to kind of talk myself through it, like swallow your pride, listen, let her cry. I started crying with her. and I just said, I am so, so sorry will you please forgive me? And I, by the way, I do like asking the question because I think that it gives the other person an opportunity to release you. And I had another situation with another one of my kids where I said, would you please forgive me? And this was after they were adults. And she said, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to process this. And I said, that's okay. I said, you take all the time you need. but I just want you to know how very sorry I am. And I'd be grateful if you could get to the place where you can forgive me. And she
1: did. I think there's two things that you just said that I, like, even for my own personal development as a leader and as a mother that I want to, because I, I think what you said there is swallow your pride and listen. Like, even having to internally coach yourself, like, if I can just remember those two words, because it is so hard in the moment. Gosh, even you telling that story, I just feel like. The emotion of it and how hard. I mean, it's almost hard for me to hear you tell it. I can't imagine actually being the one to experience it, you know, how challenging that is. And I, but I think that's the key here, you know, in whatever setting is having to, you know, swallow my pride and listen. And that's so much harder to do (laughs) than say.
0: Well, it's very counterintuitive because we think if we have to do that, we've failed. And it, I think it's just part of life. You know, it's inevitable that as we go through life, we're going to offend, we're going to get offended. It's just human nature. It's just iron sharpening iron. But but fortunately, there's ways to repair it, and we can always ask forgiveness. We can always apologize and give a full apology. And I think as leaders, it's one of the most important skills we can develop because if we're leading, and if we're out to to you know accomplish great things in the world and and have it transformational impact on other people, there's going to be sometimes that it's the opposite,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that we we do some damage and we've got to recover from that. Okay. Well, I think we should wrap it up. Uh, this has been fun, even though we kind of ended on a sober note. I don't think it was a downer, <laughs> but I, I this has been fun. I yeah. am so grateful, Courtney, for you coming up with the idea.
1: Well, I mean, truly, it was really your idea long ago that I recycled, uh, but it was really fun. Uh, Thanks for letting me be on the podcast today and, and to join you over here on Lead to Win we would be super curious to hear from you all to know what is your favorite leadership lesson that you've learned from film or tv recently um, you can share those with us uh, on social media we'll have links to those in the episode and uh, let us know do you like this type of episode did you find this fun or not uh, we would love to hear that too so definitely share that as well
0: All right. Well, let me just finish by saying that, you know, there are leadership lessons everywhere if you're looking for them. So stay alert, be awake, keep looking for them. Life is a great learning lab, but until next time, lead to win.
2: All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now?
3: No, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year. Finally. Yes. We can act. Okay. Like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music. Now that Thanksgiving's over.
3: Jingle bells. Jingle. Yes.
2: Uh, it's our holiday sale here at full focus. Oh, and we have some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got, uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site wide,